right, welcome back to the Devin Nunes Podcast Live and Unplugged, coming to you from Sarasota. Having back on today, my good friend, Sarah Carter, who has her own podcast, the Sarah Podcast Show, of course. I got to know Sarah way back in the day when she worked closely with John Solomon, who right. broke open the Russiagate hoax and the fact that it was a hoax. Sarah was one of the few reporters that got to the bottom of that, of course, was often on, on Fox News and continues to be on Fox News and reports from really all over the country and all over the world. But Sarah, it's great to have you here. I know you're tired. I know you just arrived back from Ohio, but we're pleased to have you today. Oh, I'm so happy to be on, Devin. It's a, it's it's an honor to be on your show and uh, and all the great work that you've done throughout your time in Congress and throughout your career. It For me, it's, it's a real honor. I mean, you're a real American patriot, a real hero. Well, thank you. And, and one of the things, you know, now we use the podcast for, I used to use it back in the day to just get around the fake news. Now what I'm, I'm using it for is to highlight some of our great users on True Social. And I want to thank you. And you can follow Sarah on True Social at Sarah Carter Official. Yes, and please do. Please do. I love Truth Social. I love this platform. I'm so excited about it. I think this is such a great way to communicate with people, especially in a time where we're just like constantly being bombarded with, uh, you know, social media shadow banning and all kinds of other weirdness. So please follow. Yeah, well, you know, we're really standing in the breach here at True Social, you know, working closely with Rumble. Matter of fact, right after this, Sarah, I'm going to head out to the Rumble grand opening of their new headquarters here in Sarasota. So it's kind of exciting. That is really exciting. And I'm, I, you know, I always think like when you're up in Florida, I came back to Texas, back to the warmer climate, you know, um, up in Ohio, it was like between 30 degrees and then it jumped up to 69 and then it was back down to 25. And, you know, so uh, you're very lucky to be living in Sarasota. <laughs> well, and I'm still today and I'm, my family's still in California, so I'm, I commute back and forth. But at least in California today, they're getting some great uh, rain, uh, luckily, because we've needed we've needed the rain in the San Joaquin Valley. But Sarah, let's just uh, go right in there uh, to Ohio. Uh, obviously, it's it's been in the news this week. You were there when Donald Trump was on the ground. And you were also there when Pete Buttigieg kind of came on the ground quickly and, and got out. But what are your just give us the take of, of when you when you got to Ohio, what was there, what you've seen, how Trump was taken. And then, of course, how the Buttigieg visit was taken. Well, you know, I had been watching all of the uh, posts that and which is incredible, all the posts that had been going on truth on uh, Twitter and other social media outlets. You know, my kids would show me and say, hey, did you see about the? Did you see this train wreck? Look at what's going on. Uh, there's these crazy pictures and that look like a plume, almost like an atomic explosion. It looked like um, and but nobody was actually really covering the story. There was no one really there uh, giving an in-depth report. And I was wondering why. And, you know, we'd hear rumors back and forth. So anyways, we decided to go, Sean's team, I decided to get down to uh, Ohio. And it was about a week after uh, the incident happened. And I could not believe what I was witnessing. It was astonishing to me. Uh, Devin, the people were so frustrated. They felt abandoned. Uh, there was literally the train carts were in the yard, in the backyard of some of the uh, neighbors that were right in the epicenter of this uh, train derailment. Um, they had children. They, they, had, they have pets. They're living their normal everyday lives. And all of a the sudden, there is this massive train derailment, this massive fire and they didn't even know what was on these train carts. This is what was really fascinating to me. When I first arrived there, there was only one local reporter on scene with me. Um, and it was a Fox uh, reporter and, from like a local. And Sarah, what's, what's that date? So you're, so you're there. This is roughly so that the, the so train crash happens February 3rd. Correct. And so you're there, what, you said about, about a week? A week, a, week. And a, half, a week and a half after. I wish I could okay. remember the exact date right now. I've been going back and forth uh, to Ohio. And um, it was late at night. I remember it was it was right, sorry, it was almost two weeks because it was right before the uh, event of the, uh, the town hall meeting. So I was there okay. that week of the town hall meeting. And, and, um, and when did the fires occur? So what, because that's what I think there's a lot of confusion over. Did the, right. It was the, the fire came after February 3rd, right? That is, that is correct. There was a controlled 
basically a controlled explosion. Um, I spoke to the hazmat teams that first arrived uh, to the incident and they were told now when the hazmat teams arrived with the fire department, it was a local county hazmat team. They had no idea what was even on board the train. They told me they said it was very um, there was there was very little information. They couldn't reach people from the railroad. So they immediately started to address, of course, the fire. And I said, well, weren't you concerned once you saw the you know, hazard on the outside of a couple of the carts or believe that there were hazards on board that you wouldn't be fighting the fire correctly? And they said, yes, of course, but we had to do something. Uh, and the fire just kept continuing to burn. Uh, they decided to go in and start taking action. They're real heroes. These, these folks got in there. They started to take action. But there was so much confusion as to who directed who to start this controlled burn. And one of the reasons was the hazmat um, uh, leader uh, of the group had told me was because they were worried about a massive explosion. At first, when they were told they were going to do the control burn, the reason was is that they were worried that the vinyl chloride would blow and that shards, this is what they were told, would spew across for miles and creating a really dangerous incident, like a highly conductive explosion that could harm people for miles and miles in that radius. Then later we find out, well, maybe we didn't need to do that and that the plume itself was highly dangerous. So there has to be an investigation into this. Now, the neighbors told me, you know, they immediately started to feel headaches they they were their eyes were running they could smell that sweet smell in the air of the vinyl chloride uh one of the kids that i interviewed 12 years old he watched as the train rolled off the track and blew behind his house i mean it was absolutely astonishing what the people dealt with but i think what was more what i covered mostly in that especially in east palestine you know was the fact that they felt abandoned by the government they said look it's been more than a week you're here there's one other reporter that was interviewing us at night and there was no one else here. We haven't heard anything from the railroad. We haven't heard anything from any government official. Now, the next days after we went on the air, a lot more reporters started pouring into town. Um, I don't know if that was due to the fact that we had walked down to the river. I had gone down to the river with a uh, bill, a resident that lived uh, in the area and who has well water. And he was showing me all of the dead fish and all, you know, and the other critters like frogs and crops. So that was, so there's definitely, that's one thing that we, you know, we always wonder, right? Because on right. one side, the fake news is saying, oh, nothing to see here. Everybody's fine. Water's fine. And then you have these early reports coming out of dead fish, dead, dead animals, people, you know, who are having issues breathing. So from your experience on the ground, there's no question right. in about the, I mean, you saw the dead animals and oh, uh, at oh, least fish absolutely. for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw that. And, and they were fresh. It wasn't like I saw dead fish from a week before where the derailment had happened. I was looking into the water and there were dead fish in the stream and there were no live fish coming through the stream. You know, like usually when you see these little streams, you'll see, you know, other, and you know, critters, creatures, you know, or the, the small fish, you'll see them swimming through. All I saw was dead fish and I saw the, um, the a, a frog and a few other creatures like crawfish and stuff that that had passed. One of the interesting parts was like when JD Vance went down there and he was dropping, you know, the rocks into the water and you could see the chemical spill come up. JD Vance, the new senator from Ohio. Correct. JD Vance, the new senator yeah. from Ohio. And he also posted and that went viral, you know, seeing. So what people were concerned about was like, look, when we were going through COVID, this is what folks there said, you know, it was like mask up, get your, you know, get your shot, stay indoors, don't do anything that'll expose anybody else. And here they have this massive train derailment with toxic chemicals in the air that spill into their river, you know, into their streams that go into the Ohio river. And days after that, they're saying, don't worry about it. You could drink the water. And they're like, yeah, I don't think I can drink the water because I've got a well system that feeds directly into the stream and the animals are dead in this stream. And, mm -hmm. you know, so they, they were, they were, they were very concerned about this. They, in fact, they didn't even know how to clean up from this hazardous situation. Nobody told them, okay, this is what you need to do. 
a couple of the neighbors that I talked to were at ground zero at the epicenter. They had piled up all of their children's outdoor toys, right? Piled mm -hmm. them up in by the side of the house and they were going to scrap them. Now, Devin, these are people that work paycheck to paycheck. They, they're hardworking Americans that don't have a lot of money to spend on all of these extras. And here they are just having to get rid of their children's toys, wondering if they can move back in their houses. I watched with my own eyes as the train, um, you know, the, the, the people from the railroad had sent down construction uh, workers and cleanup crews, and they were taking apart some of the trains. I was just standing in the backyard while they were doing this, and they were taking apart some of the trains that had overturned in this lady Shelby's yard. And they were, she's like, do you see? Do you see? And I said, see what? She goes, you see them dumping that gravel there? I have been out here every day this week and not one of them has picked up the soil. They're just covering it up. They're covering it up. And so now, now because of all of the media attention that has been drawn to this, I think, um, because the railroad company is really Norfolk Southern Railroad is really feeling the heat. And so is the Biden administration. They are going to replace that soil, they say. They're going to take out. Now they got to dig out all that soil, remove the tracks that they put down. Just, you know, within days of the accident, they had the trains running again. And um, and then now remove those tracks and clean everything out. Uh, but the folks say that just isn't enough. They weren't there that first week. They didn't seem to really care about the people. This is coming from the people in East Palestine. They didn't care about the people as much as they cared about covering what they said is covering it up and getting back to business. And I, and I think that's a sad state of affairs, especially when a community, you know, is set, this community is such an integral part of, 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 of our country and, and of nor and, and of the railroad. And, you know, yeah. just the fact that they were abandoned and ignored, I think says a lot. And, um, but they're speaking up and they're fighting back. Yeah, and so it was pretty telling that President Trump announced that he was going. Then, of course, the very next day, they announced that finally EPA is going to come in. And I think everybody knows that story. But I think it showed, you know, a lot of people said, oh, this was a, you know, some type of political stunt uh, by by Trump. And it's like, no, I was doing an interview on on Newsmax. And the funny thing was like, no, 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 this this was actually what real leadership is. And in fact, like if it was some political stunt, you would have seen politicians going out there on February 4th and 5th and 6th and 7th. I mean, this is just at some point, somebody had to do something. Right. And President Trump said, look, these are people who voted for me. It clearly appears like they're not being helped. And this is not him saying it. This is just my opinion. But they're not being helped because they voted for me. And so I think he felt an obligation to go out there. And in fact, I was at Mar-a-Lago uh, last weekend on on Sunday morning, and I was there for for a meeting. And one of the the guys that works there at Mar-a-Lago, he said that President Trump was personally making calls. President Trump actually called him to go and find every single bottle of water that he could find, uh, so that they could load it all up and get it out there. It wasn't like some you know they were just trying to get as much as they could and load it up and and get it there. So you know, kudos to, to you for being out there. And look, that's why you've done so well over the years. We're speaking to Sarah Carter, for those of you listening on the audio version of this. But Sarah, I mean, you've spent, when during the war zone times, you would be out in, in Iraq and Afghanistan on the ground. And of course, during the Rush Oaks days, you'd be actually walking the halls of Congress, not just listening to whatever the, the democratic narrative was. You'd actually be trying to get the real facts. And of course, you've been down to the border now, out to Ohio. But right. Explain to us kind of what was it like when President Trump came on the ground uh, there in Ohio? I think it was just remarkable. I had been at this restaurant, the original. By the way, anybody going to East Palestine, you have to go to the original Roadhouse restaurant. It's just the greatest food, greatest people out there. Um, and it was so fascinating to watch as the this town in the rain. I mean, it was freezing rain. Devin, it was like 30 degrees, 33 degrees. It was cold and icy and people stood out in the street for hours waiting for President Trump to arrive. They were so grateful. They did not see this as a political stunt at all uh, because they had already been waiting forever. I mean, they gave 
I mean, a good chunk of time. I mean, it was over oh, nearly three weeks by that time that uh, before President Trump decided to arrive and bring all of these supplies. So the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg could have gone any time before that. They could have gone there. They could have visited. They right. could have talked to the residents. This wasn't a political stunt. A political stunt would have been maybe he'd gone the same day, right, that the accident happened and not given the administration an opportunity to visit. What President yeah. Trump did was bring hope to people that literally had felt abandoned. I actually spoke to people that had tears in their eyes when he arrived because they were like, look, who cares about us? And many of them said, you know, we would have been honored to have had President Biden come here. I mean, even if I they said even if I didn't vote for him, I would have been grateful if he would have just shown his face and showed that he cared. He said, but they didn't. They were insulted by the fact that President Biden was literally in Ukraine on President's Day of all days. Yeah. And it's not that people don't support, you know, targeting. It, it was had nothing to do with that. It wasn't like we shouldn't be there. It wasn't that. It was like, how do you go to Ukraine on President's Day and not even come here to see um, American people that are truly suffering and scared and actually. Well, the contrast was the contrast was simply incredible. That they'd be so they'd be so foolish to one not have a, you know, they should have had several high level officials out there very publicly shortly after, after that derailment. But then of course, to then be in Ukraine at the same time that President Trump is there is, is simply just uh, almost, almost tone deaf. I think it's like, right. they, they don't care now. And President Trump wanna... in his boots, everyone's commenting on his boots. Everybody loves him. American, hardworking Americans are like, I love this guy. He knows what to wear in a construction site. He gets his boots. He puts his boots on. He, you know, his son was with him. Yeah, there. I, I had so many people saying like, it was his boots that did it for him. I think. And my, <laughs> by the way, my friend Bill um, from East Palestine took this photo. He's in a, a resident there in a uh, who was very concerned about his well water. I got to tell you, this is a this is a true American. Um, you have a president who is willing to go out there and be with the people, stand up for the people. Uh, you know, show them how important they are and how important this community is to our country. And that's what they needed. And that's what he did. I was honored to be there that day. I did not get a chance to talk to him. I was very saddened by that, but I was standing back. I think it was great to watch all the people just rush up to him and take pictures and tr shake his hand and, you know, just have that moment with him. And uh, I got to tell you, it made people feel this enormous sense of pride. Uh, and that was great. Well, we'll skip over. I want to get to Ukraine because kind of all of your, your you spent most of your first part of your career overseas. Uh, and then, of course, I'd also like to cover the border a little bit because I know you've right. been down there recently. Uh, but, yeah, we'll just skip over the Buttigieg uh, visit, largely because I think all you have to know is that the press conference was called hastily last minute. At, was it was it 8 a.m. was the, yeah, was was the actual it was 8 a.m. <laughs> and almost everybody like it, nobody in town even knew that he was even there like it, it was the worst presser ever nobody could ask a question nobody everybody just slept in they, they didn't even I, I can tell I can tell you this Sarah in all my time and in, in you know 25 years that I was in in you know different levels of politics I don't think I ever remember a press conference at 8 a.m. anywhere no matter where I was. Yeah, you don't. You don't. And that's exactly what he wanted. He he didn't want people to remember this. Um, he didn't want to be he didn't want to be in a position to answer the tough questions. Uh, it was very cowardly. Um, I think it was wrong and uh, insulting to the people of East Palestine. Um, and, you know, and they're going to pay for it. They are going to pay for it in 2024. This administration is really going to pay for it. And um it was just very obvious what what Pete Buttigieg was trying to do. He went in for one hour and got right out. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. So let's switch to Ukraine. I know you've got uh, you've got tremendous experience overseas. I mean, you've worked closely with our military intelligence folks over the, over your career. Right. Um, this is a an alarming situation that's going on in 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 Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. And you know, as as you well know, I was one of the guys, kind of a 
uh, lone voice in the wilderness warning people that Putin was a madman and could do anything crazy at any moment. Now that was, you know, back in 2014 and 15 and 16 when they were actually framing Trump and Republicans for having something to do with, with Putin, but they were refusing to do anything about Putin. And right. then, you know, now it's like, it's like this new fad now in the, after 20 years of being in love with Putin, now the new fad of the Democrats and the left is to pretend like Putin's like this big evil guy that they actually made and they actually right. participated in kind of the whole debacle of, of allowing this Ukraine situation. I'm talking before the invasion, they let this just escalate. So what are your thoughts on, you know, we're a year in, I think today is actually marks a year that Putin invaded mm-hmm. Iraq, uh, invaded Iraq, sorry, invaded Ukraine. Where uh, do you think we go from here? It's interesting you ask that because I was so I was so taken by the fact that it has been a year. Um, and I was I, I covered I covered Maidan. I remember remember when the protests happened in Maidan. I, I think. I was, oh, yeah. I was. Were at, you there? I was at the blaze at the time. I was actually wow. I almost had gone. I almost went to Maidan to cover it from there. I ended up covering it from the United States at the time because they didn't want to ship me over because they thought everything, especially with what was going on in Crimea, was going to be overly dangerous for me to be there, which was crazy. I'd been to so many war zones. But I remember speaking to folks during that time. And, you know, Roslana, I interviewed her. She was a famous Ukrainian singer who stood in the middle of Maidan and, you know, waved her, you know, candles in the air. And everybody was, you know, you you could feel the intensity of the Ukrainian people and how desperate they were to be you know, to be their own nation, to not be under the thumb of Russia again, you know, and, and it was, but it's a very complicated part of the world. And you know that Devin, you know how complicated this is. There is a lot of corruption. There is a lot of inconsistencies. It's very difficult for us to understand uh, the complexity of their relationship, even with, even with president Vladimir Putin and, and, you know, in his maniacal ways, it's, it's hard to understand this part of the world. But I truly believe, and I was thinking about this this morning, I actually wrote a column, I'm going to turn in, see if uh, Fox News will take it or someone, uh, but, but it's about the fact that we have an administration that literally set the stage for our adversaries to make their move. And what I'm saying is, I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan. What I saw President Biden do and his administration with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I knew, I knew the minute he basically turned the keys of the kingdom over to the Taliban, created this most horrific, chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan that we could have ever imagined. I'm not saying we should have been there forever. I'm saying you don't leave Americans and allies and resources behind to a terrorist organization. And I could. Yeah. Just- so your so your point is one that once Russia and Putin, China, they all saw right. the debacle in Afghanistan, which right. was completely mismanaged. You know, we've covered it many times on this show, and I think most of the, the audience knows that there was a very simple way to get out of Afghanistan, and that was right. keeping a base just north of Kabul within striking right. distance. Keep a small force there. Yeah, and keep it so that you could you'd be able to strike terrorists, but also deploy. You know, really deploy uh, forces around the globe like we've done after every war you end up keeping you know bases for a long period of time but it just it would have been simple would have been easy would have been cheap and it would have allowed us to project force without trying to rebuild and nation build like we tried for you know unsuccessfully for 20 years 100%. that was the easy plan that was the simple plan that was always the plan and you know from the I went to Afghanistan and dealt with Afghanistan for my whole career in Congress and that was always the plan. I mean, because there were always people, you know, the, you know, the, the Department of Defense, I mean, they're always planning, right? And, you know, I would always ask the question and many, many of my colleagues asked this question, well, if we wanted to get out, what would we do? And it was always, well, look, we could easily do it, get down to this one base. Some, some people had an idea, hey, keep two or three bases so that we continue right. to take out Al-Qaeda and ISIS leaders. There were easy plans that they had the plans for. So there was nowhere in the plans <laughs> that involved leaving, let's just bring everybody into the capital city and let's leave from Kabul and basically leave all these people unprotected. Well, that was never a plan I saw. 
Right. It's not. And it's not any kind of plan that any military leader or any commander in chief would ever implement. Why? Because you're literally handing the keys to the kingdom to the organization that you had been battling with. And they not only handed the keys to that kingdom, they handed the names of our Americans and our allies in the region so that the Talibs, as they were going through the buses that were moving around, you know, uh, Kabul International Airport, you know, KIA, uh, which is so apropos that acronym for what happened. We lost 13 Marines. Um, we lost American lives. We lost allies. And we saw an exit that could be compared to Vietnam, if not worse, where people are hanging oh, off of our C-130s. And way, that, I mean, way, way worse, in my opinion, than, than Vietnam. This was right. all Vietnam, to some degree, was not self-inflicted. Right. Okay? This was. This was definitely self-inflicted. Um you know, completely, this was, this was completely avoidable. I mean, Absolutely. completely avoidable for, and it went, you know, for many, many years that plan was on the road. So, so kind of get back to my fear. We, this sets up the, yeah, this sets up Ukraine and this sets up the debacle in Ukraine. So where, where do you think we stand now? A year in a hundred and some billion dollars now in with no end in sight. Yeah. $103 billion, supposedly no accountability for where a lot of this money is heading. We saw the problems with that with cigar, special, you know, in, in, in Afghanistan during that war. Now we're seeing it here. My, my, my worst fear right now is that we're escalating on both sides. Uh, and where does this end? I mean, does this end with Vladimir Putin? I mean, if he's as maniacal as all of the assessments our U.S. intelligence apparatus has made of him, um, if he is willing to do anything to win, where do we go from here? Does this end with him using a tactical nuclear device in Ukraine? I certainly hope not. I don't know what that would mean for the whole world. It would certainly shift the paradigm of uh, geopolitically all across our planet. And God help the poor Ukrainian people what do we do now? And, you know, when I remember being back in Afghanistan and I'm going back to that in Iraq, and we always talked about mission creep, right? Like, I remember when we first got in there into the war and everybody was saying, like, this is going to be quick. We're going to we're going to target Al Qaeda. We're going to target the Taliban. Then we're going to pull out. Well, 20 years later, you know, longest war in American history. Um, right. Where does this go? Does this have an ending? And I think that's the question that we all have to be asking ourselves because we're not only dealing with Russia now, they've implemented these sanctions today. So uh, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, just implemented a new set of sanctions against Russia, um, stringent sanctions against uh, 60 individuals and assets. And, you know, he's looking at, um, you know, some uh, of the technology companies that are actually operating in China. And here's my issue. And I'm sure you think of this too, uh, Devin, because I'm a, I'm a national security person. I, I always think like outside the box, I think of black swan events, what could happen? We've seen how China has pushed us consistently, not just the spy balloon coming across America that Biden let fly for eight days um, across our, our landmass and while it was collecting data. But we've seen what China's done with the proxy war at our border, We've seen what China's done in purchasing nearly 200,000 plus acres of land, some in areas right near our, our assets, our military assets. And we watch China and Russia now developing a very strong relationship, trying to shift the power away from the U.S. and the West and putting it back in their hands. I don't think that Russia is going to, and this is my fear, is going to back down based on sanctions. These are amoral yeah. governments, right? These are amoral governments that aren't going to be worried as much about their about their people. Um, well, look, and I know this over over the years that that I dealt with this, and I'm sure that a lot of my you know diplomatic or diplomatic friends would be critical of this comment. But I've never seen sanctions work effectively. I mean, they're they're limited at best, and it seems like it's always the the easy thing, oh, we're going to sanction, we're going to slap sanctions and you get like this headline, but then right. nothing happens. Right. And I'm still flabbergasted that the Democrats who, you know, were always critical of, of Republicans for getting into wars, whether it's, you know, and I think, look, rightfully so. I mean, it was George W. Bush and Dick Cheney that got us into right. Iraq. I mean, that did happen. All right. I mean, I was there. I mean, I supported, I supported the cause mm -hmm. myself, but the Democrats were all anti-war all the time. 
and you know, including, you know, they contributed, I think, to putting a lot of a lot of times our troops in harm's way. And they would always say, all of these Democrats were always critical of the, of the Bush administration to say, why don't you get to the table? Why don't we get to negotiating? We need to make deals. We need to cut deals. In fact, then Obama gets elected. And what does he do? He makes a deal with Iran, right? So these are the, the deal makers, the sanction givers. They do all this great stuff. Well, what the hell are you doing now? You've had a year here and Biden goes over there and pretends, you know, I think he has dreams that he's like some Franklin uh, FDR or, or Winston Churchill, like he's given some speech. He can barely get the speech out and he's sitting there. I mean, he, just, he looks so horrible when the right thing to do, if there was ever a right time, it would have been to, to go to Ukraine uh, just like he did and say, look, we need to get this solved. Russia, you need to stop this. Ukraine, you need to work with Russia. Right. We're going to continue to support you. Go to Poland. Poland, we're your NATO ally. We're not going to let the Iron Curtain come back. Mr. Putin, would you meet me somewhere? Right? Would you? Right. Can, we, can we get together? Yeah. Can we? We need to de-escalate all of this. Can we get together? No. It was like pounding our chest. We're going to keep giving you money. You've got the yeah. Treasury Secretary, you know, making threats. Now you have new sanctions. This is going downhill fast, in my estimation. And and look, I, I'm not. I'm really, you know, I don't want to scare the hell out of the out of, out of people. But this could, right. like you said, this is a. We're like one black swan event away from really bad things happening. I mean, th I mean, it looks like the only strategy here is, you know, that something happens to Putin. And right. then the question is, if something happens to Putin, either, you know, he gets sick and he dies or somebody takes him out from in internal. Well, look, as you know, you could very well end up with somebody crazier than Putin is possible. It could erupt into chaos. Or it looks like now you've got Xi Jinping, the Chinese, uh, the Chinese dictator, who is now trying to negotiate a peace settlement. I mean, which I actually think from the Chinese point of view is brilliant. The Chinese have never been involved in that type of activity. This is a brilliant move by the Chinese to, you know, to try to step in and, and, and try to create peace. Now it's the, can you imagine it's the Chinese now saying get to the peace table, not, not the United States of America. See, I, mean, and I, I saw that. I saw Xi Jinping's offer for this for this, you know, tr let's try to negotiate a peace uh, uh, treaty. Let's let's try to offer this uh, twelve point, uh, like you have right up here, in peace plan for Russia. But I'm so concerned that while we are, you know, dealing with all of this mess that we have made for ourselves, that our enemies are licking their chops and saying, "Holy cow, we have a chance now to really." make our move. And what frightens me, Devin, is the fact that I believe the Chinese purposefully blew that balloon low enough and continue to do stuff to antagonize us in a sense to taunt us and say, you're not strong enough to test our measure and to test our resolve. And, you know, being somebody who has worked in war zones and traveled and talked to a lot of military leaders um, it's always about prepping the battlefield, right? It's always about seeing what your enemies have or what your adversaries have, you know, pushing the limits, trying to see what's going on. And my big fear here is twofold. It's like we live in such a global world where we're so intertwined. It's so difficult for us to we can't really like separate ourselves from them. I mean, China owns our debt. I mean, to a large extent, Japan, I think now beat China in owning U.S. debt. But We've also seen the fact that we've given up so much of our, and this is something you talked about in the past when you were a lawmaker, you know, we gave up our PPE, like our protective equipment. We saw that during COVID. China is manufacturing our antibiotics, 90% of them. They control, you know, a lot of the PPE equipment that we would get. So we would literally have to go to the enemy to buy our, or our adversary to buy the stuff to protect ourselves from the virus that was leaked from Wuhan laboratories. So we're a global world. But we also have to be very well aware, and, the, and this is just my personal opinion based on what I've seen. The enemy always lets you know what they want. They always said it. You know, Al-Qaeda always said it. I want to kill Americans. I want to take down the West. Taliban always said it. We're, we're going to kill every U.S. soldier until we, until we push you out of Afghanistan. China has always said, we are going to be a world leader. We will be the global world leader. And they have put it in a book. You know, by what was that, 2040, 2050, we're going to be like the global world leader. They always tell us exactly what they're going yeah. to do. And we seem to question it like, well, maybe they're really not going to do that. 
maybe they're just going to do this. And we, because we're, that's who we are as people. I say, take them for their word. Take their yeah, that's word. very, that's very wise. Very good advice. You're, you're exactly right. When somebody says they're going to kill you, I'd believe them. Yeah. I always say that, you know, wars don't end. And that's, this is the problem with the left in the, uh, in this right. country is that, you know, they always believe that, you know, that, you know, that they could decide when a war ends and they don't right. get to decide. The, the enemy. enemy gets to decide when a, when a war ends, you know, they either, you either annihilate them or they're completely gone uh, or they raise the white flag and give up. And that didn't happen, as you said, with Al Qaeda. Um, and it sure isn't happening with China right now. And I don't think, and it's not happening between Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia. Right. So Sarah, um, I know you've got, I know you've got another, uh, um, I think you have another interview here shortly, but I want to, I want to, I, I do want to get your take on uh, the border. The Republican, new Republican Congress made, I think, numerous trips to the border over the last couple of weeks, uh, having field hearings. Can you maybe talk about those, those field hearings, talk about uh, kind of the layout and what you're seeing on the border? Cause I know you've been, spent so much time there. The last couple of years. Oh gosh, yeah. I think this is probably one of our biggest national security issues that we're not even paying enough attention to. And it's not just about numbers, Devin. And I'm grateful for a Republican Congress that is actually going to hold uh our government accountable for again the chaos that was created by the Biden administration. I mean, the border is wide open because the Biden administration wanted it that way. And I think that's pretty obvious now. Uh, we have seen what that has done to our nation. It's been detrimental, uh, you know, from the fentanyl poisoning all across our country, the loss of life that we've seen um, to the fact that back again, China sending precursor chemicals to the Mexican drug cartels, them shipping it into the United States, our people dying in what I believe is almost like a use of a proxy group. I, I think Chinese very well used, the Chinese government uses the cartels against us. Um, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that the Republicans are going to be holding people accountable and holding these hearings. I was actually at the border uh, with Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, and Senator Britt uh, last month. I, I went down with them. I helped uh, with uh, their CODEL. I brought a gal in from Mexico City, um, Carla Jacinto, who is a survivor of sex trafficking uh, when she was a child. Um, and she had been trafficked literally from the time she was 12 till she was 17 and was abused even before that. Um, she's met with, actually met with the uh, Pope three times and is an advocate for children that are being trafficked. Uh, so I brought her to the border to meet with them. Um, I took them to meet a rancher uh, whose uh, life has literally been turned upside down by the amount of traffic that has come through his private ranch uh, and, and with also with law enforcement officials. And I think it's important that we tell the real stories. Like I said in the beginning, this isn't about numbers. It's not about always the amount of people that are coming through, although that's important, but it's about the stories of each one of those individuals, people that are coming through our, our border, that are coming from countries with, of special interest connected to terrorism. We don't even know where they're at. We've, we've already acquiesced our border to the world. I mean, we, we don't even know how many sleeper cells are in the United States right now because we have allowed over a million known Godaways to enter our country. And not only that, we have put the lives of so many children in danger, young, young children that are being trafficked by these monsters in, uh, you know, uh, these cartel leaders and these human smugglers that are using these children to deliver them, by the way, to the United States, to some buyers, to be used for, for sex and God only knows what else. I mean, uh, well, you know, you, it's almost been, I think, two years since right. Steve Scalise uh, took a trip down to the border. So this was just months after the Biden administration uh, took over. This is in 2021. Right. Uh, you and I were down there, or I was there with Gleason, and you were reporting right. on it. And I think I did an interview with you there. Yes, you did. I mean, I mean, within just months, month, you know, three or four months into the the new administration, I mean, we we sat there and watched it. Just thousands and thousands and thousands of people just coming across the border, and I, I mean, so and this has just been ongoing. And at some point, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that this is being done on purpose to change the demographics of this country. I mean, there it is impossible to believe anything otherwise than to have this border just wide open. 
I mean, the facts are the facts and we are seeing that. And we are seeing that this is, this is a goal of the left and it's a radical left. This isn't like my dad's old democratic party or our uncle's old democratic party. We say that all the time, but it's not. This is about a radical left with a radical agenda to fundamentally change our country completely. They want to break it down and then they want to rebuild it in the image that they see fit. We see that from the actions that are being taken at our border to inside our classrooms, to the fact that we have a department of justice and you know this Devin, as well as I do, cause you were fighting it consistently. You were exposing the truth, but we have a, a bureaucracy that has been literally uh, uh, built upon, and I'm not saying everybody, but has, has a very leftist radical uh, agenda. And that goes from the, the Department of Justice to our Department of Homeland Security to the people that are working behind the scenes. They work against, we saw them work against the president. They worked against President Trump. They slow rolled any of his decision making. They put yeah. people in, in places that you couldn't, it's like having your hands tied behind your back. You're watching your nation you're watching what's happening to the nation. You're watching what's happening inside Washington, D.C. And the good people, the people that believe in the fundamental values of our nation and our founding fathers and, and, and our Constitution, their hands are tied behind their backs because the system itself is working against them. And I think that's what the American people are feeling when they say, like, I just feel so frustrated. I feel like no matter what happens, nobody's held accountable. I now I have yeah, at least well, and the way they're doing it, and it's as you know, it's the reason that I left Congress is because right. there's a disinformation funnel that I that I, I call because they control the fake news and then they control the delivery mechanism. I mean, that's why we exist here at True Social to break through to that right. uh, so that people, so the internet's open and people can actually have their voice back and they can see the free flow of information that's been shut down because, you know, they watched the 2016 election, how Donald Trump successfully used social media to win the election, to do something that the Republicans were having trouble uh, doing in the in the prior elections, and he was able to to smash through the primaries easily, and then and then really win the presidency easily, and that's when they really moved to crack down social media, and you know right. millions of Americans are still feeling that. That's why we exist. But you know they're doing this to, you know it's it's a strange new radical left. This is not like Xi Jinping and Putin, where these are strong men, killers. They want to they want to you know keep control of everybody. This is a strange way of using hard left concepts and ideas like that we're going to put, you know, that, that we're going to make transgender is going to be, you know, totally normal. We're going to have to have so many of, of this color, that color. If you, if you think you're a boy or a girl, we're going to, okay, that's all great, but we're not going to go off merit any longer. Right. We're not going to say that, that the person that needs to be running our military, we're not going to pick the best and the brightest. We're going to pick oh, one of this, one of that, one of this, one of that the Chinese and the Russians and the, the, the real leftists that are dictators around the globe, they have to be looking at us and saying, man, these are the types of communists that we like because right. not only they're destroying the country from within, what they're doing is never going to work. And we're basically opening ourselves up ultimately for those type of leftists to take us over in the yeah. long run. You're so right about that. And they, they've got to be sitting back saying, and we said this before, even when we saw what was going on and we were able to expose what you phenomenal work on your report, Cash Patel, everybody involved in exposing the Russia uh, saga uh, against Trump, the lies, because that's where the disinformation campaigns got started. But once we saw that, I was saying to myself, wow, the Russians must be sitting back saying, we don't need to do anything. Neither do the Chinese. The Americans are eating themselves alive. Look, they're right. the head of their right. CIA, the head of their FBI, the head of their this, the head of their that, the DNI. I mean, they're working against their own president who's like actually doing right. his job. Right. With 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 Russian people. with Russian propaganda. I mean, it was the best yeah. uh, it was the best uh, operation that Putin never ran. Uh, Putin couldn't have dreamt this one up well enough to get the left in this country to make something up, P tapes and prostitutes and and get the whole American news media to go after it. I mean, it was a it, it was the most brilliant thing Putin 
never came up with. He probably oh, wishes he came up with it. Yeah, he probably like threw a party and gave a secret like, you know, KGB, FSB award to the people that were like the head of our, our government. Well, if, if he did that, he'd have to give it to people like the Clinton campaign, the, right. all the people that, that are at the top of the Justice Department right now, the people that are in the, in the Obama-Biden White House. And I say that on purpose, all these people that were Russia hoaxers all got elevated. Putin needs to throw a big KGB party and give awards to all of the people at the top of the Biden administration, including to the guy that's at the SEC, the head of the SEC, this Gensler character, who we uh, basically discovered that he was the one who helped to launder all this money, um, who is now, and sir, I don't know if you're up to speed on this, but you know we've been trying to get financing so that we can become a public company. And here you have these characters that are doing everything they can to stop and go and, and to stop us from getting financing so that we're just on a shoestring budget. You know, we're, we're still, we're, we're good. We're the fastest growing social media company in history, but how do we get to compete with here at True Social? How do we compete with the likes of an Amazon or the likes of a, a Microsoft? I mean, yeah, President Trump is a billionaire, but you know, it's, we can't compete with a Bezos or somebody like that. We have to have access to the capital markets. And yet you have Gensler, who might as well have been working for Putin at the time because he's the one that financed the whole deal for the Clinton campaign. He's now in a position to stop us from getting access to those capital markets to, to be, basically be able to grow in a real way our features and the, the, the areas that we want to get into here at True Social. Well, that's, I, I am a little bit up to date on all this. And Gabe Kaminsky, actually, I had him, I, I talked to him on my podcast. He's from the Washington Examiner and he's doing a you know, series of stories on the disinformation, you know, network global index, you know, and then you find out that these are the people that are telling, uh, you know, advertisers and don't like people like you should not donate to like Washington Examiner. You should give it to the Washington Post who got it all wrong, by the way. It's, it's like right. you find out. That, the, that there are folks out there that are actually working and being funneled money by people like the Open Society Foundation and George Soros and others that are that are actually trying to shut down free speech and shut down conservative outlets like Truth and others. They don't want to allow us to sure. have a voice. And yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an important point. Yeah, the Useful Idiot Award is what they're going to give out. The useful yeah, we, we, award. That would be it. Yeah, that, that's that's right. That's what Putin and Xi need to come up with the useful uh, idiot award. And there'd be several within this government that would be getting it for sure. Right. And and but but you know what? You you got into something uh, that's important. And before you go, I mean, I think this is important to expand on that the Washington Examiner has been doing a great piece and coverage of what I call the fake fact checkers. Right. And I think it's I just want to make sure the audience understands what's happening here. So when you see these fact check groups. And then when you go onto the search engines, how are those related? You may ask yourself. Well, you've got, this is stuff that Putin and China don't even have to fund because our own people within our government was funding it. As you mentioned, the Soros Open Society was funding it. They launder money into these, these global groups that are just there to do good things like fact check. Well, what they successfully do, this is why you won't see a Sarah Carter story when you use a search engine. It's right. why you won't see nice things about true social when you use a search engine, because anybody that is center right, whether it's a whether it's a podcaster or a news site or a social media uh, site, those those searches don't show up in the search engines because and, the, and then the big tech companies get to rely on this whole idea of, well, this great fact-checking group that's totally uh, independent, they have deemed that Sarah Carter cannot be trusted. So yeah, that has exactly. one effect with, well, it has one effect with a search engine, but then the other effect it has is that on all the woke corporations, the big corporations in this country, then none of the advertising dollars go to the Sarah Carter website that's or go to the Washington Examiner. And so then, then we, including here at True Social, right? So we're all really reliant on on, you know, we can't rely on any of these big advertisers that you would see on the network TV or like when you watch the Super Bowl or, or sporting events or, you know, we have to rely on just basically kind of just low, low budget ads. And uh, it's a whole nother problem where they're basically taking away 80, 90% of the dollars are then going to the fake news. And what's amazing is even with that, the fake news can't even be profitable, which I think is incredible. 
That's absolutely correct. And I think that's why these stories are so important and why we have to continue to expose what's going on. And I, you know, and the thing is, is what makes it even more terrifying is that, and you brought it up. Devin, it's not just that these are, you know, people like, you know, the Open Society Foundation or Soros or others, you know, that are that are leftists, but it's our own State Department that literally backed some of these like the global, you know, index, you know, uh, that gay uh, that Gabe Kaminsky talks about in his stories in the Washington Examiner. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How is it that our government is working with a government that's supposed to be standing for our constitution, the first amendment, our freedom of speech, our, it's what makes a republic work. We cannot exist without it. We will die without the ability to tell the truth and to give our, our constituents and the people of this great nation facts so that they can make decisions at the ballot box. But when you have the New York Post being targeted and censored and the Hunter Biden story and the Ukraine story and Uranium One and the Russiagate story all being censored. And all of a sudden we're left with like a public that has no idea what's going on, a government that is becoming more tyrannical. And, and you know, and the, and the truth, truth, you know, truth is social. It's the truth is being buried. And that, yeah. and that's frightening when you think about it, when it's coming from, government entities when government entities are actually backing these things and planning a disinformation board and we're going to tell you what's truth and what's not truth well what what the heck the memory hole what what the government that lies to me most of the time is now going to be in charge of what is truthful really well that is very well said sarah and that is why we are standing here in the breach true social riding on the rumble rails riding on the rumble cloud and really relying on people like you, Sarah, that are that are contributors, content creators on the platform. You can follow Sarah at the Sarah Carter Official. You have so many uh, followers uh, on True Social. And, you know, we're just continuing to promote people because we're here. Um, and we're here to, to take voices like yours, people out there trying to do real journalism. And we're trying to promote people uh, like yourself and like others. Like So like I said, you know, our goal here, President Trump's goal is, is real simple to give the American people their voice back. And that's what we're doing. And that's what you are doing. Thank you so much for bringing me on. And I'm just grateful to be a part of such an amazing team of true patriots and, you know, being able to uh, get the truth out. And that's, that's the most important thing. Well, well, Sarah, thank you so much for doing great support. I know you got another interview and I'm going to be headed out now. We're going to have the groundbreaking for or the grand opening of the Rumble headquarters here in the United States. So it's going to be a fun, going to be a fun afternoon. But I want to thank all of you for joining us, all of you who, who watched us live, or if you watch this uh, later, I really appreciate it. But Sarah, great to have you on, and I'm sure you'll be back. Thank you, Devin. I will. All right, all right it's Devin Nunes. We'll.